0: So this morning we are looking at just a short little story in Mark, Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. You'll find it on the screen. If you've got it, you can follow along that way. Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. But before we read, as always, let's pray together. God, we're just grateful once again for for this opportunity to to gather together and to to lean into you and to bow our lives down and offer ourselves once again to you. So we pray, Lord, that during these next moments that, that we would be open enough to, to hear a word from you, that you would do what you need to do in us. To change us. To make us new. To make us more like you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Mark 3, starting at verse 1. Hear these words. Another time he went into the synagogue. Jesus went into the synagogue another time. So this is a pattern. He's done this before. So another time. Jesus went into the synagogue. And a man with a shriveled hand was there. Now, Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? but they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Just sit with that for a minute. He heals the man, and the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might how they might kill Jesus. Won't dwell there for too long. Here's what I want us to do: I want us to start with a a little mental exercise. So I want you to think about who you've run into lately. I know that we don't get out as much as we used to, or as often as we'd like to anymore, but still, we go out and we run into people. So I want us to all think for a moment about all of the random people that we run into on a regular basis. These are people that we see, but we don't necessarily really see. These are people that we know, but we don't, like really know them. and Think about the person who serves you your favorite coffee drink at your favorite coffee drive through shop. Or think about the person who serves you at the gas station. Think about the mechanic who works on your vehicle. Think about the clients you work with on a regular basis. Or think about the checkout person at Hy-Vee, or, or Aldi, or Sam's, or Target, or Walmart, or wherever it is you go out and do your shopping. Think about all the neighbors you you know, but you don't really know. Like you see them every once in a while walking in front of your house. And you recognize them as the people who live four doors down, but you don't really know them. Think about, think about those people. Keep their faces just just in the back of your mind right now as we enter into this story. Okay? With those people on our minds, let's walk through this story in verse 1. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he might heal him on the Sabbath. Let's just stop right there for a moment, think about things. We know that it's the Sabbath, and that Jesus has again entered into the synagogue. It may have been the same synagogue that Mark tells us about in chapter one of his Jesus story, when he heals a man with an unclean spirit. Might be that one, or it may have been a different synagogue in the region of Galilee. We're not really sure, and I'm not sure that it matters all that much. All we know is that this is Jesus gathering together with God's people for worship. This is Jesus in church, right? This is what, he's doing what every devout Jewish person would be doing at that time, right? So he's in worship. Now, I think it's important for us to understand that keeping Sabbath was probably the distinguishing mark of God's people, right? Out of all the religious activities that a Jewish person could be engaged in, things like fixed hour prayer, giving of alms, fasting, observing the high holy days, or celebrating different feasts. The most common and the most obvious one was the act of Sabbath observance, right? It was a day for worship and for rest. It was a day for being, not for doing. Therefore, on the Sabbath, no work was allowed. I'm trusting that you're at least somewhat familiar with this idea on the sabbath no work was allowed right so before we move on i think it's important for us to ask and then answer uh, another important question what would be the distinguishing mark today of god's people today what would be the most distinguishing mark like it would probably be going to church right those people, we even ask people, if we're wondering if they're religious at all, we ask them the question, where do you go to church? Right? Doing religious things, maybe praying at lunch or, or, or having a, a Bible study. Right? You know, church stuff. This. Rhetorical question time. Is this all there is? Just this? Okay, we'll move on we're told that there was a man with a shriveled hand in the synagogue. Now, chances are he was there every Sabbath. This is a local synagogue serving a small community. We don't know the details of the man's condition, but we, we have to assume that this probably wasn't a secret. Like everyone knew the man with the shriveled hand. It would have been obvious every time he raised his hands in prayer. There's the man with the shriveled And in fact, I think the people in this local synagogue may have been so used to seeing the man that they really didn't notice it anymore. He's just there. They don't see him. They don't notice it. We're also told that Jesus' critics were there. think about this. We're in Mark chapter 3. We've had two chapters and six verses now, right? So we're in Mark chapter 3. Jesus is just beginning to do his thing in and around Galilee, and he's already got critics. Already. Apparently, he has a reputation for doing some things that eh, maybe you shouldn't do, according to the religious people. So here are some religious leaders. We we find out later that they're Pharisees. Right? They're looking for a way to, to sort of get rid of Jesus. They were they were hoping, hoping, get this. They were hoping that Jesus would heal the man so that they could accuse him of breaking the sabbath the pharisees had decided that healing was work and work wasn't allowed on the sabbath in fact even talking about the work you needed to do the next day on the sabbath was a violation of the sabbath keeping rules like these people were serious about keeping sabbath don't even talk about the work you have to do the next day while you're observing Sabbath. Like seriously, we're serious about Sabbath keeping around here. So they wanted him to break the Sabbath so that they could expose him as a fraud. So that they could look at him and tell everybody that he's not a real teacher with any real authority. He can't even get the basics right. He can't even figure out how to keep Sabbath right? So they could discredit him. And I love the way that Mark tells this little story because there's tension right from the beginning. Again, Jesus enters into the the synagogue on the Sabbath, and there's a man with a shriveled hand there. What will he do? Next verse, Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Now, why would he do that? Why would he ask that question? Why would he ask him to do that? I don't think he was trying to embarrass him. But I do think that he wants the people to see him. I think Jesus wants the people to, to notice him again. I think Jesus wants the people to think about how he lives his life. He's got challenges that no one else there has. I mean, these people had probably gotten so used to seeing him that they just didn't notice him anymore. Truth is, they probably didn't want to notice him because he would have made them uncomfortable. It was common to think that things like sickness or illness or things like a shriveled hand was a result of some sin in people's lives or the result of some bad behavior. So good religious people train themselves not to see people like that. To them, he had become invisible. But Jesus wants them to see him, to notice him, to think about his life, which begs an obvious question for us. Not even hard to come up with this one. Who are those people in our lives in our in our community like who are the people that we've trained ourselves not to see who are the people we've trained ourselves to sort of ignore who are the hurting people we ignore because we assume their condition is the result of just poor decisions that they've made or their own mistakes or their own you know bad behavior which of course isn't always the case who are our invisible people. Who do we just choose not to see? Jen Hatmaker in one of her books tells a story about her friend Susanna who has another friend named Stacy. Listen to her tell the story, it goes like this. Stacy left a destructive marriage with whatever fit in her car. She was working, putting herself through college, trying to build a healthy life for her girls. She'd saved for a small apartment, a thrill, but she literally had nothing no beds, no furniture, no silverware. She goes on to say the working poor get lost in the shuffle. Susanna and Stacy were friends for six months before she realized that Stacy was even struggling. By all appearances, Stacy's station seemed normal. The usual clues that point to poverty are ambiguous. The working poor are one missed shift from homelessness, one lost paycheck from hunger, one overdue bill from repossession. However, they learn to camouflage nicely into society. They laugh at all the right jokes, deflect the right questions with sarcasm and silence. The children are ashamed to admit that they haven't eaten all weekend or can't afford to play soccer, so you'd never know. In many ways, they are invisible. Think about that for a little bit. Just think about that one. Whether we want to see it or not, whether we want to admit it or not, there's poverty around us. It's invading, has invaded the suburbs. And I know we've talked about this before, but I think it's important to bring it up on occasion, maybe more than we already do. But we know that one of the ways that the experts measure the level of poverty in any community is by the number of students in the school system who are on free and reduced hot lunch. A few years ago, that number in the Ames School District was about 30%. A few of our elementary schools were at 40%, one of them above 50%. Students on free and reduced hot lunches, that's in Ames. That's in our community. That's home. That's us. That's people all around us. That's some of us. And now that we're in the middle of a pandemic, it's only gotten worse. There are people struggling all around us, and we just don't see it. We don't notice. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Not to embarrass him because Jesus knows there's nothing to be embarrassed about. He asks him to stand up because Jesus wants the people to see him. He's not invisible. He is right there. Jesus wants them to see and to notice and to enter into his pain. He wants them to recognize his potential. Who are the hurting ones in our lives? Who are the ones that we're not seeing? Who are the invisible ones? Think about those people I asked you to think about at the beginning of this whole thing. How many of those people? The people we see but don't really see. The people we know but don't really know. How many, how many are hurting in ways that we just have no idea about? Let's move on. Now, having seen the man with the shriveled hand, Jesus can't do nothing. Like He's got to do something to help the man. Not just for the man's sake, but I think also for the people's sake. I think he wanted the people to understand what, what it really meant to be God's people in the world. I think he wanted the people to see what it Really means what God is really looking for from people who call themselves his followers. So Jesus asks a question, right? There are religious leaders there. And he asks a question: which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save a life or to kill? Seems like it ought to be an easy answer. Right? It's a no-brainer, right? But here, here is a direct challenge to the religious people of his day, and I think to the religious people of any day. He's challenging them directly. He's challenging their understanding of who God really is and what God is all about, and why do we have the Sabbath in the first place. I mean, the Sabbath was God's day. So they all figured that we ought to be about the things that God really cares about. Things like worship and prayer, and keeping the rules not breaking the rules. Healing the man would be breaking the rules. He asks the question, and they don't say anything. Sorry story goes on, he looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. And Jesus looks at him, looks at them and he's angry and he's deeply distressed, which means I think he's, I think he's deeply grieved. He's grieving. Maybe he had, maybe he had God's words in his heart spoken years before through the prophet Isaiah. Maybe he was thinking of these words. Listen, the multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? This is God. Speaking through a prophet, the multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations, I cannot bear your evil assemblies. Your feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me, and I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. In other words, stop. Stop it all. Stop it all. If it's not going to change you, if it's not going to transform you, if it's not going to make you compassionate, just stop. Just don't do it anymore. Walk away. God goes on. Instead seek justice encourage the oppressed defend the cause of the fatherless plead the case of the widow jesus is angry and grieving he's angry and he's grieving because because the people are part of a faith tradition that is designed to bring grace and life to the world Jesus is angry and grieving because these people are part of a tradition that is about hospitality and forgiveness and welcome. Jesus is angry and grieving because because these people are part of a faith tradition that is about creativity and generosity. Jesus is angry and grieving because these people, these religious leaders, have made their faith tradition into something other than any of those things. They've made their faith tradition about things like who's right and who's wrong. They've made their faith tradition about who's in and who's out, who belongs and who doesn't. They've made their faith tradition all about building walls and barriers to, to just protect themselves. They've sacrificed relationships with people who are hurting and people who are broken because they've decided that being right is way more important. Stretch out your hand, Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand. He stretched it out, and he was completely restored. Jesus is like, to heck with the rules. (laughs) He just heals the guy. He just simply does what needs to be done. Jesus wants the people to understand that the thing God really cares about is people. Their hearts, their well-being, their ability to, to flourish and be who they've made, been made to be in this world. That's why God gave people the Sabbath in the first place. Jesus wants people to, To see the hurt around us. To enter into the pain. And then bring about new life. And then get this. Look at what the Pharisees do. These are the most religious people. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Things just got real. We're in chapter 3, the first six verses. And they're like we got to kill Jesus remember according to the pharisees during the sabbath even talking about the work you needed to do on the sabbath was breaking the sabbath killing someone would probably qualify as work so they're they're plotting to kill Jesus for violating the sabbath which is exactly what they are now doing like the hypocrisy is thick, and look—it's no secret today that people are people are leaving communities like these because because of the hypocrisy. And I don't think I blame them. People are leaving because of the judgmentalism, and I don't blame them. People are leaving because of the because of the polarizing attitudes, and I—I I for one—I don't blame them. Does Jesus want us to be good, upright, moral people on the side of truth? Of course, but I don't think he wants us to be jerks about it. And I think he also wants us to be about things like like grace and acceptance and reconciliation and healing and mercy and and love. He wants us to be known for those things. Right? Here's the deal. We are renewed communities. Following Jesus to renew lives that renew the world. That's who we say we are. That's who we are called to be by the divine. Renew community following Jesus. If we're following Jesus, we probably ought to know where Jesus is. So that begs the last question Where is Jesus? Where is he? Where is Jesus? Well, if you read the first two chapters of Mark's story about Jesus, we find out where Jesus is. And if we're paying attention, it will give us eyes to see where Jesus is now. Here's where Jesus is in the first two chapters of Mark. Listen to this. Jesus is with the man possessed by an unclean spirit. He's with people who have various diseases and illnesses. He's with the man who has leprosy. He's with a paralytic. He's with the tax collectors and sinners. He's with the man with the shriveled hand. All the people he probably shouldn't be with. But that's where Jesus is. That's where he is. He's where all the broken people are. He's where all the hurting people are. And what's he doing there? All he's doing is bringing about a new life and an opportunity for people to flourish in this world. We are Renew Community, following Jesus to renew lives that renew the world. Can we actually be that community? Can we actually become that kind of people? Can we? Can we? You know what? I, I think we can. I mean, we have in ways... But I think we can in bigger and bolder ways. Look, it's a new year. It's 2021. Calendars flipped. That means, look, we have a new opportunity right now to make a real actual difference in this world. So so 2021, this is the year. This is the year we're actually going to become a people of integrity. We're going to be the people we say we are, following Jesus to renew lives that renew the world. We don't know exactly what it's going to look like yet, but we will. We will. We will become the kind of community that gives itself away so that others might live, which is what Jesus has done for you and for me and the rest of the world. Let's pray.